Hello, and welcome to Alive or Just Blethering, a podcast where two 30-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. My name is Keith McLeod, and with me is my fellow host, Chris Lavender. Today on Alive or Just Blethering, I'll be taking us through The Origin of Symmetry by Muse. Hello, Keith. How are you doing today? I am good, Lav. How are you? And how are our listeners today? I know. I'm actually really stunned. Another country appeared on the analytics. Venezuela. Hello, Venezuela. <laughs> Viva Venezuela! If that's the <laughs> correct thing to say. I didn't even look that up. I just said it. So if, if uh, that's insulting, I do apologise. <laughs> we'll find out, I'm sure. Is it, <laughs> if, is it when... Viva? Is it, is it Spanish? Is it Portuguese? I'm, I, I'm not going to even begin to claim that I know. Um, but yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you for coming back if you've listened to us before. And if you're new here, drop us a like, drop us a comment, say hello. AOGB podcast. Tell us your views on the music we've covered so far and why we're probably wrong. I need to pick up on something I said in the last, uh, yeah, was it the last podcast? It was the last podcast. And um, I referred to the Dumblane shootings as 1997. It's 1996. I'm sure I get a lot wrong, but that's one thing I really wanted to correct. It was it was 96 that we, um, the UK got rid of guns. Ah, thank you for that correction. Um, yeah, that was, that was on the POD episode um, where we talked about uh, gun crime and uh, active shooter incidents. So... This one's going to be a bit different, I think, going going into Muse. Funnily enough, it's um, if, if POD was about religion, uh, Origin of Symmetry is perhaps about not religion and potentially disproving religion, which wasn't intentional. I really just discovered that as I looked into this, into this album and, and did my, my research on that. I think it's cool that we're going in a bit of a different direction. I mean, this is probably our... This is definitely our first non-new metal album going to be flexing our uh genre muscles on this one are we absolutely so you know we've we're not intentionally a new metal podcast we've just and i think we've said it before we're just starting off where we started listening to music and and we're going to cover like older metallica stuff and and uh you know raising his machine is you know from the 90s and stuff but um you know, we 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 decided we we made a joint decision. We'll, we'll kick off with, with Lincoln Park, and so we've been surrounded by new metal. But I didn't just listen to new metal when I was fifteen years old. I also listened to stuff like Muse. So here we are, our first non-new metal album. What's uh, how, how, how we we we've not really talked a lot about Muse in the past. What was um what's been your thoughts? I'll be straight up and honest with with you, Keith. I was never a Muse fan. I maybe enjoyed the odd track that got released, the singles that that were that were out there in the videos, but I never had a Muse album. I n- never really gave them more than a track's worth of a listen. So listening to Origin of Symmetry this last week has been quite the eye-opener, actually, and somewhat regret not giving them the time that they rightly deserve. So, uh, uh, a positive eye-opening experience, shall we say? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, um, this is this has been a really nice listen, and it's it's reminded me of music I did listen to 
around this time as well, which, for better or for worse, we'll we'll bring up at the end of this episode because that's going to be our next, the next lead in. I feel I've uh, influenced you for your next decision, and I am, um, yeah, I'm a bit like blasé about your next decision, but we'll uh, we'll we'll cover that next week. Yeah, yeah, we will. Um, but yeah, I'm really, I was really impressed by it actually. Considering how much I now listen to progressive music, I mm-hmm. I would say I'm I'm my eyes have been a lot more open to progressive music since listening to bands like between the bird and me maybe going into more genty bands like tesseract and periphery and they've got sort of those progressive elements in them and Mm -hmm. i can hear a lot of muse in them so it's nice to kind of come back and listen to a band that were of of a time when when we were were young and it was probably more relevant i suppose to 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 our or your tastes at least when they were being built up if we ever cover between the buried and me or periphery i will be utterly heartbroken to find out that they were influenced by muse not because i don't want them to be influenced by muse but because of what muse eventually became like if they can like i, I don't listen to muse anymore I, I i could not keep up with them after maybe one or two albums ago two two three albums ago i think that the last album i really listened to was black holes and revelations and whatever came after that i just gave it one lesson one listen and i've i've never been back because you have a record like origin of symmetry which I haven't listened to in, in properly in maybe t- at least 10 years and I've came back to it now and I'm like fucking hell this is this is brilliant like this is a great great album for so many reasons it's like I have flaws with it because they are potentially my flaws that exist with Muse that I didn't I didn't initially gravitate towards Muse I didn't initially think Muse were amazing straight out the gate I kind of was persuaded into them by uh, uh, like one of my best friends um, and we'll, we'll get on to that but you've got Origin of Symmetry and then they've gone down a path that you know similar to Padme and Anakin I just couldn't follow they were breaking my heart like it was awful <laughs> so um the last yeah, well, song, um, I'm trying to remember what the last song that I remember being like on the radio, not on the radio, I don't listen to the radio, but just like in the general kind of populace. What was, was the was last it? song you listened to in the headphones of HMV? <laughs> it wouldn't have gone that far. It would have been well after they were doing those. I'm trying to think. It was it was probably off the resistance. They they must have had what was the big what was the big track off that, that album, The Resistance? Was that Uprising? Was it that one? Yeah, I think it was... Or was it the song Resistance? It might have been United States of Eurasia. I don't know. And this is and this is where my, my, my hands are up, being completely honest with you, Keith. I had so little interest in Muse that I just... It, it all it, I could listen to a Greatest Hits album and it would be, be absolutely fine and I wouldn't be able to spot the difference. Going into Origin of Symmetry is the first time I've listened to a Muse album properly for a long, long time. And it was very, very good. Any any highlights off the off off the top off the top of your dome? 
the, the definitely the nostalgia of newborn as soon as that started yeah i was like this is this is banging this is great uh citizen erased i think is a, a really top song uh, i think you set me a challenge last week can't remember if it was recorded or not but you set me a challenge yeah. to spot the song with the seven string mm-hmm. did i get it right keith well, what's your what? What do you think was the song with the seven string? It was definitely Citizen Erased. Fuck yeah, it was in Erased. Citizen Erased. That was uh, that's an A that that, that song. Oh so yeah. So he uh, he uh, Bellamy plays the seven string on it, and he's got the low A, and it's uh, it's fat as fuck. Like um, yeah, congratulations, challenge, challenge. Um, you won it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I win nothing. Um, I have nothing. I have no prizes. Um, well, you win my respect for identifying um, the fact that that's a seven string. Um, but of course it's a seven string because it's just a big, fat, open A and and, and it just rings out through a seven-minute song. It's wonderful. Oh, it's great. And then all the songs that got released, it was it was... I never realised how many songs were actually put out there on videos so i'm mean, considering one of them was a double was it not yep so you've got a double Happy so music, a five, uh, ha- five tracks got videos effectively there have been five videos it was hyper music and feeling good were the double but those videos were very similar they probably were shot on the same day slash same set um or you know over the same couple of days i don't know that for a fact i'm just i'm just sort of reaching on that but um yeah hyper music and feeling good were the sort of last songs released um, and 19th of November 2001 and yeah before that you had it opened up first release was Plug In Baby then Newborn then Bliss Bliss and Bliss was again all this memories I, I if before last week if you'd asked me to name the, the songs on Origin of Symmetry that I knew I would have probably just said Newborn and maybe Plug In Baby and then mm-hmm. it's going through. I'm like, oh yeah, feeling good was on here. Oh yeah, hyper music. Was- oh yeah, bliss was on this. And it was a really, really nice, nice trip down down memory lane. And it and it probably highlighted to me that maybe maybe Origin of Symmetry had a bit more of a of a of, of an impact on me than than I first questioned. Origin of Symmetry was definitely where I came on to to Muse. Um, Maybe I, if I was being honest with myself, I sort of preferred Absolution, which was the album to follow. You know, that had Time Is Running Out, uh, Hysteria. Like, Hysteria probably stands as one of my favourite songs ever. But we're not talking about our favourite albums, we're talking about where we found uh, these bands and this music and, and, and where we went with it. So it was absolutely Origin of Symmetry. So let's get into some guts yeah. of uh, some, some deets. Tell me I'll drop it. some deets on the album. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll take it from there. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know, maybe in Venezuela or Germany or uh, Oregon, if you're not aware, uh, Muse are an English rock band from Tynemouth, Devon. Have I pronounced that right? Tynemouth. Teakmouth? I think it's Tynemouth. We'll go with Tynemouth. Down south. Very down south. Devon, mate. Devon. That's, that's real, real south. That's a real south. Formed in 1994, the band consists of Matt Bellamy, uh, lead vocals, guitar, keyboards, Chris, I've always fucking struggled with this guy's surname, Wilstenholm, Wolstenholm, Holm, <laughs> bassist, and uh, drummer Dominic Howard. Origin of Symmetry is the second album by Muse, released on 17th of July 2001 through Mushroom Records and Taste Media. So we are fastly, it is their 20th anniversary, 2001 
we're in 2021 we're coming up on their uh their, their, their 20th anniversary and they just so happened to drop a wonderful nugget on that and it was uh the re-released citizen erased it sounds it sounds brilliant i'm not gonna say no it sounds really really good there's some really nice cleaned up parts i'm just i'm Anytime these remasters come out, I'm always very, very hesitant to be like, it's better. Because I like yeah. to kind of compare and contrast. Um, we've brought up Between the Bird and Me earlier. Um, they do remixes. They've been doing remixes of their albums for the last two years, I believe. Where okay. they've just gone through the whole lot of them. And they are a marked improvement. They, they've, whether they've re re-recorded or they've laid down new ones great but you're saying you're saying remix or do you mean a remaster well this is it what's the difference to me a remix is a different song it's like uh one artist taking an existing song and and remixing it you know putting out their interpretation of that song a remaster would be the original band or or someone coming along and taking the original tracks and remixing them and remastering them. Well, these Between the Bird and Me ones, they're called remixes, but they are... They just sound like they were made yesterday. They just sound really, really clean, really up-to-date, well-balanced, and, and just really... You know, all, all, the, all, the, all the parts kind of reimagined. So I guess you could say we've, we've upped the levels on the guitar. We re-recorded the drums on this track is that a remix mm-hmm. yeah it's probably if i'm being honest it is more like a remaster they've not changed anything nothing new has been added musically but by the sounds of things on citizen erased at least it sounds like there's some additional backing strings in there um, there's, I, I think there's some additional strings they've definitely re-recorded some of the guitar parts the Bass distortion is different. What I can't tell is, did they re-record that or did they remaster the existing one? Because the existing one, sort of similar to your tone on Newborn, is way raspier, way rougher. Um, sort of listening to it, I kind of think more of like a saw wave, like on a whatever scope. Um, whereas this sounds more like a buzz, which ironically is probably still a saw wave, but like it's smoother, it's cleaner. To me, that's compression. And I'm wondering if it has. Is it just a case where they have over compressed it? They've done that thing. I think I yeah, maybe. Bri- briefly brought up the the loudness war. If anyone's ever read into it, look it up on YouTube. It's a a case where over compression has been sort of the norm on pop music since the mid eighties um, to try and make people's songs sound louder on the radio. But now radio is not so much a thing. So. Have they dialed it back a bit? Is the the loudness war over? But to me, it's there's a the, I think they've done the right thing. They've made it sound new and exciting, but it's still the same music that you listened to twenty years ago. To me, it sounds like it, it, this would be Citizen Erased if they recorded it today. They've not drastically altered it in any way. The uh, that 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 guitar tone after the sort of the first heavy chorus. And and the and the song sort of dies down and and it gets into that sort of guitar arpeggio that that picking bit. I would say that's quite different, but the rest of it all sounds 
sounds very similar. I think they maybe brought the drums forward a bit in the mix. So it sounds more like they would have done that song today. I don't necessarily prefer it. I'll take it for what it is. But Citizen Race is my favourite song on the album and nothing will ever change that. So this is just a slightly different version to that. Yeah, so that's that's something exciting. I'm, lo- I'm loving this. This is now the fourth album that we've done that's or the, at least the third sorry the third album we've done now that has had a 20th anniversary release honestly i didn't even we didn't even plan this for the podcast but we are uh, we're bloody well lucking out by picking music from 20 years ago <laughs> just so happens just so happens wonder what's next let's see i'll tell you what's next the title derives from the 1994 book hyperspace this is gonna fucking kill me by the theoretical physicist miko katu kaku K-A-K-U. Miko, M-I-C-H-I-O. Miko, Michio, Kaku. (laughs) You absolutely butchered that, mate. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks very much. Um, Digging deep because it's going to get worse. Which suggests the title, The Origin of Symmetry, for a future book about the discovery of supersymmetry, a reference to On the Origin of Species. All right, yeah, yeah. By your old mate, Charlie D. Interesting. According to Matt Bellamy, quote, everyone's been writing about the origin of life, so now they'll start looking at the origin of symmetry. There's a certain amount of dis there's a certain amount of stability in the universe, and to find out where it originates from would be to find out if God exists. I mean, okay, we get you. We get it, Muse, you're a space rock band. Matt Bellamy, who I have sort of followed over the years, even to us to 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 the later albums, as much as I maybe didn't follow those albums, I was still, I was still like, what 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 is he doing here? And um, yeah, the guy is very much into whatever the fuck I just said. <laughs> you, you, everything you just said, you just read it. You didn't read. It, you didn't actually interpret it. You just read what you saw. There's there's symmetry in nature i suppose a a positive and a negative a yin and yang thing going on there so you know is that by design or is that a natural occurrence i think is what they're trying to find out Alrighty. okay cool so that's the the name of the album what about anything on the artwork it's it's one of those album covers that you could take the the band name and the album name off and I could recognize it. It was very very, very standout. Yeah, very very recognizable. Um, not a lot on the artwork itself. It's by an artist called William Eager, who to me, in my unlearned ways, appears to be an illustrator. Um, not to be confused with the Irish painter William H. Eager. All right. Uh, born seventeen sixty six. I doubt it was him. Definitely not him. Um, William Eager does have a Instagram with, considering this guy did a Muse album cover, eight hundred and six followers. It's um, it's more followers than we have, so you know. <laughs> if anyone wants to jump that. on a AOG podcast uh, Instagram, give us a follow. But um, yeah, if anyone wants to follow William, it's uh, William Eager, and you can see some of his uh, illustrations there. I like what they did on the again, just to kind of go back to the 20th anniversary remix that they're doing uh, i like the look of the artwork the the metal yeah so those those like prongs what would you call them i, I think they look like tuning forks um yep 
or American goalposts, whatever you want to call them. But they've, they've made those like metallic. Yep. Uh, and like still, they've sort of they've textured it and they've sort of given the ground like sort of a bit more of a rocky um, sort of plane and stuff. Like, yeah. No, it, it looks pretty cool. Um, I'm seeing he's an illustrator. I'm actually looking at his work now. It's not just illustrations. There's... Um, there's paintings, but um, this is a music podcast, not an art podcast. He's an or artist. is it an art podcast? Music is, is art? art. Music is art. Is it? Is it really? Fuck, we're getting deep on today's episode. It's good. I like it. Yeah, so um, that's the meaning of, of the album, apparently. And like I've, uh, I've, I've watched Matt Bellamy over the, over the years, and, and especially with um, my mate Dave. Hi, Dave. I know you're listening to this. Um, but you know he's he's a quirky sort of sci-fi kind of guy and and I, I suppose that's almost what sort of brought me into Muse as well is you actually see that they're just sort of three normal dudes from Tynemouth South, South. <laughs> Tynemouth in Devon and the guy can absolutely shred a guitar or a piano uh, or drop some fat bass lines or is Dom does Dom Dominic stand out as a particularly sensational drummer? Maybe not, but I think he's I think he's still pretty good. You know what? For a three piece, I think they sound brilliant. Hundred percent. I think that that that's what stands out to me when whenever you see like how many people are in a band because they've just got such a broad tone to them. Even on Origins, I know I'm looking at like other Muse songs out there, like Night of Sidonia sounds like could be like a 16 piece band doing that because it's just so big and epic and there's so much going on in that song but then yeah. you, know, you go to origin of symmetry where it's probably in the most most straightforward songs but still with like songs like plug and baby feeling good they've clearly got the big band in there for that one because it's just got so much going into it they do currently have two touring musicians so while muse themselves exist as the three piece yeah they do have um, two two musicians in the in the shape of Morgan Nichols, uh, covering guitars, keyboards, synthesizers, backing vocal samples, bass, blah blah, and uh, Alessandro Cortini, keyboards and synthesizers. Okay. So while Muse exists as a three piece, they make the noise of at least a five piece. Yeah, or at least they do today. That might not always have been the case back in the day, but um, yeah, if you even look at one of their live albums called Harp, which they released uh, round about Black Holes and Revelations 2006-2008. Um, Christ, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on here, but Harp... Isn't, isn't Harp the, uh, the, the the weather generator conspiracy? Yes! <laughs> Fucking yes, it is! Bellamy eats this shit up for breakfast. So the um, if you even see their stage show from, I think it was... Oh, Christ, what is the... What's the English football ground? What's the one in London? What's Wembley. The one? Thank Wembley. you. They... Thanks. They played Wembley, and if you look at the, the the stage show from Wembley, like the harp aerials are sort of reflected in like the sort of stage design. And for anyone who doesn't know, go look up the uh, conspiracy theory behind harp, where it is essentially a weather control device. And people were sort of looking into the the formations of strange clouds, and then all of a sudden there's an earthquake in China, or there's a bloody tornado in like Brazil, like and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, harp's brilliant. Harp is brilliant because it, it stands for High Frequency Active Oral Research Program. 
And Thank you for Googling that. I've got it. I've got the Wikipedia page up, but I don't need to look any further. So basically, the, the thing is, the amount of energy that the, the all harp is, if you ever saw a picture of it, it's just loads of little aerials. In Alaska. It's high up north, pointing up, because it's researching. They're researching the ionosphere. Do so, not laugh. They're controlling the weather, man. They're fucking controlling the weather. There are no power stations near drawing the weather. This research center, the amount of power they would need to generate a cloud—just a cloud, not even. Yeah, come on, man. This is America. They've got it. It's bonkers. It's all underground bunkers. It's in Cheyenne Mountain. Anyway, (laughs) look up the Harp Project. Make your own mind up. It's not origin of symmetry, that's for bloody sure. Um, <laughs> interestingly, not. it was released on two labels, Taste Media and Mushroom Records. You know anything about these guys? I've not heard of those two, no. Okay, Taste Media. Taste Media recorded three of Muse's albums, Showbiz, Origin of Symmetry and Absolution. Whilst the recordings by Muse were licensed to Mushroom Records in the United Kingdom, with the label credit being split between Taste Media and Mushroom. I don't understand what that means the music was like the music was licensed to mushroom records but it was recorded with taste media so it's almost like mushroom gave taste the money to record for muse yeah and then they would split or divide up the the takings in some manner or form um don't seem to have been particularly big there's only a few artists credited to them, one being Muse, another being Shed 7, and another being One Minute Silence. Oh, there's, there's a name I've not heard for a long time. Nearly yeah, broke your neck turning around to that one, yeah. Just, one Minute just, Silence. Uh, wow. I know that I've just I've just taken a, a quick look up on Mushroom. They've got some names to their repertoire. Uh-huh. Mushroom Records. Mushroom Records was an Australian flagship record label founded in 1972 in Melbourne. It published and distributed many successful Australian artists and expanded internationally until it was merged with Festival Records in 1998. Festival Mushroom Records was later acquired by Warner Brothers, blah, 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 and so basically the, the label folded in 2010 into Warner Brothers. But artists from Mushroom Records include Nelly Furtado, Peter Andre, Jason Bloody Donovan, home and away, mate. And both the Minogues. Oh, I didn't both, oh, were the Minogues on it as well? Fuck, I didn't see them. Both but Danny also, and Kylie are on, are on Mushroom. Basically, all, all the stereotypical Australian. We haven't got any Australian vi- listeners. We'll change that. Yet. But all, all, the, all, uh, like, all the shit the UK people would just absolutely hoover up with, uh, with a Henry Hoover. Bloody, bloody Henry Hoover, mate. Um, interestingly, also, really interestingly, and I know where we're going with this one, so I won't elaborate too much. Madonna joined them in two thousand and five. Oh, maybe because she needed now, a why, label after two thousand and four. Wonder why she needed a label after two thousand and four. Carry on, Keith. You ever heard of Jimmy Barnes? I'm sure I've met someone called Jimmy Barnes, but I don't think that's who you're mentioning. It's probably not who I'm mentioning. You have definitely at least heard Jimmy Barnes, but not really for what he's known for. Um, I there's an Australian podcast I listen to, and they've they've covered Jimmy Barnes before. Jimmy Barnes was born in Glasgow, moved to Australia, and became a rock star. But you will know him as the Screaming Cowboy. Screaming Cowboy from 
that dance song that kind of went viral like three, four years ago. No way. He's, an, he's a he's a big Australian rock star. He basically, basically, I think he was fr- he's from a band called Cold Chisel, and they were massive in Australia. They just never made it big outside of Australia. Whereas okay. ACDC got out of Australia. I think he might have like sung in the early days for ACDC, but it went on to whoever it went on to, and then bloody whoever it is now. Angus Young. Yeah. I hate ACDC. They can go fuck themselves. But um, yeah, Whoa. Jimmy Barnes. Oh oh. Oh, oh, come on. Oh, come on. Can't be slagging off Can't be slagging off royalty like that. The fucking blandest royalty ever. There should be no there should be no monarchies, Lav. Fuck the monarchies, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. God, this episode is f- fire tonight. But um yeah, j- just just I saw the name Jimmy Barnes and I thought it'd be funny to bring him up cuz A, he was born in Glasgow, B, he was he, he is massive in Australia. And uh, if you watch any interviews with him, he's just got this half Australian, half Scottish accent. And um yeah, he was the screaming cowboy. I'm not going to try and repeat yeah, the I was screaming cowboy. Say, I'm I'm glad I'm glad neither of us have attempted it as much as I am tempted. I am not attempting. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, there he goes. Try it anyway. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, so they, they were the labels that released Muse. Released 17th of July 2001, recorded between September 2000 and February 2001 in a number of locations. Mm. And it all makes sense. This album is, and I think it maybe is testament as to why I think 20 years later this still sounds incredible. Because this album wasn't just done in a studio, it was constructed, it was built. These guys tried so many things in so many places to construct this album that there's two producers on this album and it makes sense as to why there's two producers on this album. I heard a rumour that Matt Bellamy would try placing the microphone... It was either Matt Bellamy or the producer would try placing the microphone in different places... And in one of these studios, it got placed in the mouth of a bear. I cannot confirm or deny that. Ah, oh, just one of those stupid little things that you kind of must have must have picked up on a, a documentary at some point. But yeah, that he would apparently try placing the microphone in various places, and one of those places was like a a stuffed bear, and it what? had a microphone in its mouth. One thing I didn't. And it, it, I'm pretty disappointed in myself that I, I just didn't have the time to do so. Hullabaloo was a live album that they released after this, and it covers a lot of the making of this album, um, or okay. a lot of just them in the studio in general. And I just I didn't have time to, to, to watch it, unfortunately. Um, I've seen it, and again, back to my friend Dave and I, we, we used to watch it all the time and like loved it, and we'd just be like, this is amazing. Yeah, maybe that's from Hullabaloo. You'll see the microphone in, in this bear's mouth or not, but um, but I don't know. But some of the places this was recorded was uh, Ridge Farm in Rusper, Real World in Wiltshire, the Astoria, which is... Oh, why do I not have this in front of me? Why do I not have this in front of me? The, the Astoria is in the venue? No, as in David Gilmore's houseboat studio. David Gilmore's studio? David Gilmore Ooh. studio. So David Gilmore. There's some rock royalty for you. Yeah. Oh, it's coming up. David Gilmore bought a, a canal boat, uh, quite an important canal boat, if I remember correctly. Um, the Astoria is a grand houseboat built in 1911 for impresario Fred Carno. 
and then was adapted into a recording studio in the 80s by David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. I don't know who Fred Kern is the best English theatre. I don't know what an impresario is. Never heard of it. Not, not something I'm but aware of. I really of. set myself up for a fall there. Yeah, so they recorded part of this on a houseboat, um, also including Abbey Road. Famous. As very famous. Uh, as well as Sawmills and Folly and St Mary's Church in Bathwick. Lovely. So, quite the quite the, the, the journey that this uh, recording went on then. Right, so we've been listening to... Basically nearly every album we've listened to so far was recorded in one fucking studio. NRG. NRG. In, in <laughs> NRG California. Studios. And these guys went through one, two, three, four, five, six different locations to record this 51-minute album. That's brilliant. And I must say, like, every song is its own little world. Um, they've all, every, each song stands alone. I think my, my, um, my first response to you after I'd listened to it the first time was like, this is just all killer and no filler. This is great. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until listening to it the second and the third time I was like, oh, no, wait, yeah, there's, there's skippable moments here and there. A couple but, of bits. But yeah, it was, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised at how, um, engaging an album it is it's I think it gets you from the start and everyone knows Newborn Newborn being the first song but that that piano when it starts up and then the bass line comes in and then you're just like ooh where's this going and then it just hits that riff you're in like that's you man like down the rabbit hole see you later Alice let's fucking let's do this um, and uh, it's I think it's really engaging I mentioned earlier there's two two producers Muse are credited as, as producers as well but there's um, two producers of David Bottrell and John Leckie so I think I said there's two producers and you can understand why these two producers are sort of there so before I go into what songs they've done You've got David Bottrell, who has worked with the likes of Tool, Mudvayne, Coheed and Cambria, and Between the Buried and Me. Uh, wow. Foreshadowing. Some I, absolute fucking out-the-park metal from David Bottrell. Okay. John Leckie has worked with the likes of John Lennon and Paul McCartney, Pink Floyd, Stone Roses, New Order, and The Doves. So that's got that proggy... Uh, 70s rock feel to it then starting to see how this album's built so David Bottrell being the more metal um, producer shall we say produced and engineered on Newborn, Bliss, Plug In Baby and Dark Chains John Leckie the proggier sort of space rock kind of guy uh, produced on Space Dementia, Hyper Music, Citizen Erased, Microcuts, Screenager, Feeling Good, and Megalomania. Wow, very good. So yeah, that, that they're definitely one of the spacier tracks, I would say. It's like they brought in a metal producer to, or a, a heavier rock, what have you, producer to to handle the heavier songs and the more acid rock, space rock kind of progressive guy to work on those songs so it even comes back to what we were saying about end together now for limp biscuit how they brought in that hip-hop dj to produce end together now oh yeah yeah so it's it's all it's all coming together nicely um that's interesting that they, they've 
they've gone down that route. I think that's really something. This isn't their first album. This was their second album, wasn't it? Yeah, their first album was um, released in 1999 called Showbiz. Showbiz. Did you ever listen to Showbiz? Yeah, and I hated it. Who did it remind you of? Are you going to go with Cole? Are you going to go with um, Radiohead on this? Radiohead's the one that I keep coming up, keep I keep coming across these comparisons that Muse were being compared to Radiohead in the 90s. And to my experience, Muse were basically Origin of Symmetry onwards, where they were this sort of slightly experimental, a little bit weird space rock prog band. And people were kept saying, oh, they just sound like Radiohead. I was like, what? When? In what universe do they sound like Radiohead? And it's then you go back an album and you go, wow, that was bland. Well, I have never heard Radiohead in that case. Because I don't think Muse do sound like Radiohead. I'm not a massive fan of Radiohead either. But I don't, from what I have heard of Radiohead, I don't think that really crosses over into Muse. Even taking Showbiz. I did sort of, in the sort of later years of appreciating Muse, go back to Showbiz and found songs I liked. Basically, just don't listen to Muscle Museum because it's incredibly depressing and slow and boring and crap. But... Sounds like a Radiohead album. <laughs> well, maybe maybe there are similarities there that we don't know. But you can listen to songs like um, Philip or Cave or Uno. These are really good songs on Showbiz. And the sort of... I think there's a formula on the rockier songs on Origin of Symmetry and that is smash an intro just like just just into your face intro kind of drop it into the chorus with uh, like a really sort of driving interesting unique bass line another reason why I loved Muse so much because by this point I had picked up a bass and I was really getting into what it was that they were doing and I was trying to learn lots of Muse songs and then you know come back into the bigger choruses for, for, for Bellamy to show off that I think that that's a formula that's in Origin Symmetry and you can see it on some of those songs in Showbiz. Definitely being in a three-piece lends itself to having a more prominent bass, I find. I um, think he's a great bass, bass guitarist. Yeah, they, they, he's, he's well he's well placed and well positioned and I think it, it features well when you've got someone like Matt Bellamy who's got that very falsetto, very high-pitched voice to have a very prominent bass guitar to get that dynamic range and i think it fits fits them well and it makes them sound very unique there's i mean no doubt in earlier stuff they probably were borrowing off artists of the time but by origin of symmetry i think they really found their sound yeah of of the the their good stuff i don't want to i can't speak for anything post 2009 but between this and an origin symmetry you knew you were listening to a muse song you knew it was a muse song that was on the radio or wherever you'd listen to it without doubt because it they just were there they made space rock i don't know what you'd call it their thing space operas yeah no um I, I couldn't agree more. I think you absolutely knew you were listening to Muse any time between 2000 and 2009. Like, they, that three-piece sound that they had. And not, not just that three-piece sound. I think they put a lot of production into their music as well. And, and fair enough, because 
as well as as incredibly talented guitarist, Matt Bellamy is an incredibly talented pianist. There's hundreds of videos all over the internet of him playing this piano or that piano or an organ or he's doing something here or he's he's fucking around like and you can hear it like oh what was the um bloody hell what was the song between ah oh, not between the angels and insects fuck's sake keith it was um butterflies and something it was it was butterflies and hurricanes on absolution there's a massive huge sweeping piano part in that song and and it's 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 pretty impressive that's cool yeah i think it's it's it always speaks in volumes when you've got a musician an actual musician i would never call myself a musician i can i can pick up a guitar i can play some power chords i played in a hardcore punk band so i can't play fuck all really you're a bass player so we can't really call ourselves musicians. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> Could you be any more condescending cunt? Jesus Christ. You're yeah, you just said the C word, mate. I won. I think that was deserved, <laughs> thank you very much. You played in a hardcore punk band. What, what did you do? Just bleed on the strings? Basically. I was being self-deprecating to myself and I just thought I'd bring you down to my level. Anyway. I do not appreciate it. I, I noticed. <laughs> um, it was fun, though. Yeah, fuck, where were we? Um, the in fairness, and we're talking about how like they constructed the or it looks like they constructed the album, recorded in many places. Part of that was to have access to a massive organ that was in the church. Um, <laughs> That's what she said. That is what she said. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. No, absolutely, man. The um, maybe this is on every album, and we've just not seen it credited. I don't know, but they engineered the fuck out of this album so you've got so how i mean engineered makes it sound you know like planned planned construction okay whereas then you've got because you can also get albums that get ripped to shreds by over engineering over complicating it I, i have to say they've kept it really simple is not the word it still feels like a straightforward album it there's no Mm, silly like big distractions on it where there's not like these big eight minute long drum solos or things like that it doesn't it keep it's quite focused i mean it's a 50 minute album but it's 12 tracks 55 Uh, minutes it keeps itself for a progressive rock album it keeps itself quite tight and controlled to the point almost yeah and and for the for all the right reasons well i say it's engineered to fuck i only reference that i don't know if it was specifically engineered to fuck i'm just referring to the fact there is one two three engineers credited one two two assistant engineers credited and four assistant engineers credited. A lot of credits. There is more additional personnel than there were in the band. 100%. And I don't think it sounds like an overly produced album. I think it's that's just credit. Because not everyone's on all the songs, you know. The, you, people are, uh, are, are across, across the album. I just think that goes to the depth of where they went to make the album. So... On that, how did the album form then with all that? Okay, before we go to that, oh, sorry, 
<laughs> sorry, before we go to that, uh, Muse developed Origin Symmetry during their tour for their debut album Showbiz. Um, recording took place in a number of locations, which we've already gone over. Songs like uh, Newborn, Plug-In Baby and Bliss were recorded with producer Bottrill during the middle of touring in late 2000. That was in West Sussex at uh, Ridge Farm Studios. The songs were recorded uh, in just a few days, so the band later had to remaster these songs with the help of John Cornfield. That was the third um, pro- um, engineer I mentioned that was like a full engineer, not just like an assistant engineer or whatever, after they finished the showbiz tour. So there's your there's your rockier songs recorded with Bottrill, and they basically did them before they finished the tour. Yeah, wow. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, writing an album like that on tour is not to be sniffed at. Absolutely not. The band saw the album then saw the band experimenting with new instruments and dynamics. Dom Howard uh, experimented expanded, sorry, the standard rock drum kit with various other items of his own including a balaphone and even animal bones on the song Screenager. My uh, uh, my bestie, Dave, we were talking about this album earlier, and he told me, I think it's on the, the Hollabaloo DVD, they originally wanted to use human bones, but the label were like, that's that's not good press, man. You can't, uh, that's not good yeah, for that, human rights. that doesn't go down well. So yeah, uh, that's, that's never, that, hu, no, human rights, just, that's just not the done thing. Yeah, like, so they did. Unless you got the permission of the person whose bones it was to do that with. True, true. That, that's, a, that's a no-go. Do you think the... Um, Again, I, I think that's on hullabaloo, but I could be wrong. Do you think that would affect the, the use of animal bones? Do you think that would affect vegans listening to this? I'm not sure. That's a probably a question you should ask a vegan. Probably a leading, um, a leading question, no doubt. But um, Matt Bellamy also used an organ at the St. Mary's, at the St. Mary and Virgin's Church, Bathwick, to record megalomania. So they went to a church to record that. Oh. Okay, so yeah, because if he's playing the organ, they wanted that proper church organ sort of vibe about it, I'm guessing. Yeah, and I suppose you just don't really get those acoustics anywhere else. Yeah, totally. But uh, awesome. how did it perform? Pretty. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you, cut you into that one a bit earlier. No, no, no. All good. It did. It did well. I mean, it's a, it's a UK band releasing in the UK. The uh, you're not going to get like your American numbers. You're not going to get your. Um, it's unlikely to get your chocolate starfish eight times platinum sort of figures. It did enter the UK chart at in number three. That's that's respectable at yeah, that time. Absolutely, they were they, they you know Radiohead rip off or not, they clearly had a following and uh, and people bought into this album. I think when you're leading with a song like Plug in Baby, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna attract a few people. It eventually charted in the US. Because there's a bit of controversy about its US release at 161 on the 200 Billboard chart, but that was its that it peaked at 161 in February of 2010. Wow. Yep. So that was obviously after Muse had basically blown up and been the biggest rock band in in the mid 2000s practically. One of you know, they're yeah. a stadium rock band now. You don't you're not going to see them at the barras. You're not going to see them do your small local venues you're gonna see them at a festival you might be lucky if they do like a five night run at the the hydro or something yeah absolutely that's they're not gonna be one you see live and it kind of goes back to 
so you you've you've alluded to that it it didn't get a US release. Origin of Symmetry. It was originally scheduled for release in the United States through Maverick Records. We've heard of Maverick through Deftones. Maverick were the guys that made Deftones do Back to School. Yeah. So listen to this shit. Because Maverick had released Showbiz. However, Muse left Maverick when Maverick demanded, quote, Bellamy recorded the album with less falsetto. The album was not released in the US until 2005. So it wasn't released until four years later. And only in 2010 did it peak at 161. Maverick. So the reason I brought up Madonna being part of Mushroom, was that Mushroom Records? Mm-hmm. So Maverick used to, was founded by Madonna. Yes. And they fell out in 2004. And Madonna basically sold her shares in it to to get away from it. So I found I found that quite interesting that she's been on Maverick. They've been mismanaged, bad bookkeeping, whatever it is. She's gone to Mushroom, and then by 2010, 2009, both labels fall into Warner ownership anyway. The um, Mushroom, yeah, Mushroom fell into to Warner, yeah. Interesting that that's two albums almost in a row where we've discussed Maverick and they kind of seem to be cunts. They don't seem to be doing, they don't seem to be the nice guys in this. No. They were, I mean, they were a record company. They were out to make money, but really they've, they obviously turned the screws a little bit with, with Deftones making them, asking them to create a new version of a song and then putting it out really to their compromise. Someone like Muse, they they clearly felt that they were in a stronger position to, to say no. Well, not even. Not even. It's one thing to ask a band to, oh, can you rework a song so we can release a single? It's another thing to be like, see this entire album that you've, you've recorded with this falsetto singing, bin it and redo it for us. Of course they were going to say no. What uh, an entirely unreasonable yeah. request. It's given me a newfound respect for for Muse learning about that. Actually, that's that's given me a, a thing because it 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 any band that's as popular as as Muse became, I always think that they must have compromised in other ways. But from what I can tell, it's they've 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 done what they wanted to do, and it's worked perfectly well for them. I think I think they've done all right, considering. You know, we were talking earlier about how they did a, a a live stage show with sort of what was essentially a conspiracy theory at the heart of the concept of the show. You know, at either they're just totally trolling their record labels, or you know, they're they're that well received that they can actually almost maybe do what they want, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, that's good. I- I mean, and then obviously they, to their detriment, Origin of Symmetry got delayed in the US for a few years. But by the time it did hit the US, they'd had smashes with, like you say, Absolution. That's got some of the more, some of their material. By that, then you've got. Yeah, they did. I don't know the name of the album, Black Holes and Revelations, and then The Resistance to the Design. And then it hits 161 in the top US Billboard 200. Nine years after it was made, that's that's brilliant. That's good, good, good for them. Good for them. That yeah. So I've just brought up the their their chart history for for the billboards. 
Uh, the Resistance peaked at number three in 2009. The Second Law, wherever the fuck that album was, um, peaked, at two th- uh, peaked at number two in 2012. Black Hole Revelations uh, was at number nine in 2006. Um, Absolution didn't do great. Drones went in at number one in 2015. Wow. So... You know, Muse Muse did all right in America. They 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 clearly went over there, regardless of whatever issues they had with Origin Symmetry. They went number one, so they've they've done something right. Something I'm going to pick up on that you've not mentioned mm-hmm. in the charts. It charted in Scotland at number three, baby. Yeah, fuck yeah. Got those Scottish charts back involved. Scottish charts number three, UK album charts number three, um, the German album charts at number seventeen. So it went two times platinum in the UK uh, with 600,000 sales. Uh, In Australia, because we're we're looking for those Australian listeners with Jimmy Barnes, it went platinum at 70,000 sales. And Belgium, Italy, Netherlands and Switzerland, it went gold with more than 20,000 sales. Strong. Strong numbers. Really good. Really good. So, wow. We've been talking for a bit already, man. This is flying by. Do I have much more to say on Muse? Origin Symmetry was remastered and reissued as part of the Origin of Muse box set alongside showbiz demos, live performances, and other material. The box set was released on 6th of December 2019. Okay. So, interesting that they've already sort of done a bit of a remaster, but now we've got The Citizen Erased. 20th anniversary remaster so it's gonna be interesting to see what comes from that yeah i've i've not heard the full album yet um, i'm looking forward to hearing the the remaster in full i think that might be uh, an interesting time to listen to it if you've not listened to muse before or if you've been kind of on the fence with it this could be your gateway in mm-hmm. what were your what's it what's we touched on some brief highlights earlier what's what are you taking from this album? What you, you said you might sort of put this into circulation. You might actually start listening to this. Where totally. what, what what's brought you into it? I suppose I've, I've I've there is a there is a place in my heart for for prog. I've I've come to learn that there's prog rock somehow just ticks a box in my head. I'm like I can get into that. I am going to replay this sound clip when I make you listen to Dream Theater. But steady on now. We don't want to get <laughs> uh, don't get too ahead of ourselves here. I enjoy I enjoy this. I loved the um the pacing from from basically from track 1 to 6 was brilliant. I was with you know without without even blinking I was from the intro to newborn and then I'm into citizen erased and I'm like this that that first half of the album just flew in. I'm like I'm really enjoying this. There's a dip there's about three tracks of maybe what I would would I describe it as filler or maybe just describe it as a little bit meh less less so from where all the energy that's been built through and then you get that big big sound that like you see that big A string on Citizen Erased and then you just get like microcut screenager and dark shines and they're just a little bit like a bit blase by the numbers tracks. And I realized I'd, well, while I was listening to the album one time, 
I'd completely tuned out for three for those three tracks. It wasn't until Feeling Good kicks in. Yep. My word, Feeling Good is... Did it's it not a new good? song. It's, it's <laughs> just there's something in that song that could wake me up on a morning. If I am sure of it, there's a note or there's a, a progression in that song which just absolutely fills me up with energy it's so so good it's not even their song it's a it's a fucking stage song it's a it, it was like is. it was written for a written for like a, a musical or something and it's been covered broadway. by so many people feeling good a cover was written for broadway by anthony newley and leslie Bricruz in 1964 and first recorded by Nina Simone for her 1965 album I Put a Spell on You everyone knows some version of Feeling Good but and I think this is 100% to Muse's credit and this is where I think if you're going to do a cover this is where you do it justice you make it your cover oh fully like I would challenge can... when I f- I'd not heard the Nina Simone version Oh wow! Really? First time, first time I ever heard "Feeling Good" was Muse doing it, wow. and it wasn't until later on that I realised that oh, it's a it's a cover from a song from the sixties. And then it's not until reading further and like it was actually a song from Broadway that then Nina Simone covered, and it's just one of those songs. But I think Muse oh, compl- in the jar, completely owned it. They completely owned it. What was that? Yeah, song? like "Whiskey in the Jar," for example, wasn't Again, just a Thin Lizzy song. It was a folk. It was a folk song. It it's yeah. it it's um it's credited as traditional. It doesn't have a named writer. Uh, so that when the performance comes in, each artist makes it their own. Thin Lizzy popularized it. Metallica metalized it. Kinda. They rocked it up. They added a bass line. Thin Lizzy didn't even have a bass line in it. So they made it something. Yeah, it's good. They, they, they do just make feeling good their own, and it's and it's in keeping with the album. You know, you've you've got this you've got this sort of heavy rock, spaced out thing. You know, you've got moments on 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 sort of plug in baby and bless and and whatever, and then you've got sort of dark shines and micro cuts and even megalomania with the organ, and somehow a cover of feeling good works between that it just fits it just fits and now i've only listened to what i can see from from reading wikipedia the digital version so the when i've been listening to it it ends on futurism yeah that wasn't the original album yeah now futurism to me it has that that the very beginning of it is uh like the symbols Mm -hmm. and it always reminds me of the uh, the bells at the beginning of Rush, uh, YYZ, which is that <laughs> I sent you. It's just that ding, 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 ding. And I just yeah, expected sure. to go da 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 da, 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 da. And it doesn't. Da, 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 it goes not It goes into their own song. But to me, Futurism was on there. And I, it was just, I, I liked that ending of, of, of it flowing into Futurism. And to think of it as a bonus track, it's like, oh, that, that would have fit on the album. Yet you kept Screenager. <laughs> like you decided to cut one and make it a digital only version, but keep a really crap one. What a shame! I, 
Yeah, there's. I I, I kind of couldn't agree with you more. Like you can, from, without even skipping a beat, you can be from the very first piano of Newborn into crying your eyes out in, in Citizen Erased, and then the album sort of takes a turn. Given what I think they've tried to do with it and given the the work that I think they've put into it, and maybe I'm just being really kind here, you know, the I, I think it's just a, a bit of a, a swing and a miss on some of these songs. They've tried something, they've always wanted to be experimental, they've always wanted to do different things, uh, and, and Dark Shines and, and, and whatever. Do that. Micro Cuts is a weird one because I really don't like, like the first three minutes of it, but then that outro is just just madness and it's great and Muse do that they also after this with the release of Hullabaloo they also released two songs called one called Dead Star and one called um, In Your World both really great different songs Dead Star is almost a gent song it's crazy right, then you've yeah, got Futurism enough. as well I really I like Futurism but the verses are weird but the chorus is the chorus is awesome for me personally yeah the whole like i said as a, as a whole package really impressed with the album one i will listen to again hands down i i might come back to this actually it's sort of been long enough that it's, it's difficult did i say this at the beginning did i not say this at the beginning coming back to origin of symmetry just sort of reminds me of sort of how disappointed i was with where muse went right okay fair enough you know like and they they've gone off and done their own thing and i don't think it's i don't think it's a sellout move i don't think it's it's whatever they've just they've just kind of always done what they wanted to do i think but they i did say this earlier because i made the the anakin and padme joke they just went in a place that i couldn't really or didn't want to follow them but that doesn't mean that Origin of Symmetry and Absolution and to almost a lesser extent Black Holes and Revelations aren't really good albums and I'll uh, I'll, I'll always sort of stick with that Good, oh, thank you for taking me and our listeners through that journey you know what, I tell you what, one, one time I've seen Muse three times and one wow. time was with My Chemical Romance Really? There's a... Yeah. Not a band I'd ever associate. Open, I hope supporting Muse. Yeah, no, they were supporting. So I saw first time I saw them was twenty fourth of November, two thousand three at the SECC. I remember that because I passed my driving test on the twenty third of November, two thousand three. So I saw Muse a day after, but I didn't drive to the gig. Oh well. The next time I saw them was like six months later at Teen the Park, and they did the NME stage and they played Citizen Erased and it was. I cried. I fucking cried. It was so beautiful. Um, I've not already said it. Citizen Race is by far my favourite song on the album and probably my favourite Muse song next to Hysteria. And then it was two years later at Tea in the Fringe. Tea in the Park and the Fringe sort of teamed up for a couple of years. And that's okay. and they built a stage at Meadowbank Stadium. Oh, yes. I remember that. And I do remember that's that where kick. on this night... Muse were the headliner and MCR were the support. That's brilliant. I couldn't. I couldn't put that together. That's so. That's amazing that they such a. I mean, the sound of two thousand and five, uh, two thousand four MCR. 
mm-hmm. an emo an, an emo punk rock band, but an emo pop punk band. If you're gonna be, I think yeah, I think they were. Um, I think they were pretty good at the time. To be fair, I I just That's remember, cool. I remember there being like a a long walk gangplank walkway from the stage back to what must have been like the the Meadowbank Stadium, and. Uh, Everyone's like, you know, it's getting to the time. Everyone's waiting for music to come on and stuff like that. And I'm just like, you know, by this point, I was getting a bit cocky. Like, I'm in bands. I've played shows. I know how this stuff works. Everyone's got a timesheet and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, they're going to be on it. They're going to be on a quarter party. Yeah, they've finished at that. And then you got a 20-minute crossover. And they're going to change. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm, I'm patting myself in the back here. But I was just like, oh, yeah, they're going to come on at 9 o'clock. And at about two minutes to 9, I just looked to my right. And you just saw them walking down the gangplank. They were just, they were just there. Couldn't hide them. That was the access to the stage, and they were just there. And I was like, oh, music are about to play. Yes. And that was the last right. time I ever saw them. Would you go and see them again? Maybe if they toured and played Absolution. Uh, sorry, played Origin of Symmetry from, from, from the start to the end. They did that for a 10th anniversary, actually. They did a, a couple of shows um, yeah. for the 10th anniversary. But I wouldn't give a fuck about their new material, to be fair. True. Fair enough. No, it's been good. I, I really enjoyed listening to the album, and I'd, I can see how someone can enjoy Muse. Um, but looking at the Spotify-related artists, um, it tells me everything that I need to know about the type of person who listens to Muse in twenty twenty-one. And I and I mean that with 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 all with all the love and sincerity that the type of person who listens to Muse today very much listens to bands like Interpol. Coldplay, Kaiser Chiefs, Kasabian, Placebo. So yeah, it's that is not a slight by any means, but it's not the music that I would usually go out of my way to listen to. But listening to Origin of Symmetry has made me think that this is a band I could, or at least an album I could listen to comfortably on an afternoon at work and just put it on and and enjoy it. Yeah, almost. I suppose on that, almost similarly to Deftones. You know, Deftones were lumped in with the new metal sort of shtick. Yep. And I think just because of the timing of their releases, Muse were put into, you know, what was Brit Rock. But you yep. listen to Origin of Symmetry and are they fuck Brit Rock? They piss on Brit Rock, Brit Rock like from fucking wherever. Like there's space rock and prog and fucking doing all these different things. Whereas your Kaiser Chiefs and your Kasabian were just radio garbage. Like, it was just absolute fodder. But I think Muse were were not that band. Not that kind of band. Maybe they are now. <laughs> if I'm going to be brutal about it. But, um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So maybe a, a similar sort of vibe there. But hey. Cool. That's as... Uh, that's been Orange and Asymmetry. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm really glad you enjoyed it, actually, because I didn't... You're, you're, you're sort of, at the beginning, you were like, um, you know, oh, I remember sort of, I could I could listen to, to, to Linkin Park and then try and put on Muse and people be like, why the fuck are you putting on Muse? I'm like, because it's good. But, it's a bit of a leap. There's, there's, you've got to, yeah. you've got to mix, you've got to, you've got to mix your way in. And it's for that mixing reason that I am not going, to, I'm, I had a mind, I had an album in mind to do next. And... I didn't. I, I was. I was a bit uncertain about it. I thought, oh, we're, we're diverging here. We're going in two different directions. But it. It reminded me of another band. You mentioned Brit Rock. 
sorry, the next album is going to be a bit of a Brit rock album. Oh, where are we going? Is it Kaiser Chiefs? Is it Kasabian? Is it Franz Ferdinand? No, it's no, it's not. It's not neither, none of those. It is a British band. They are called Bush, and they made an album called Golden State. And fucking hell, is that's that at the least one I'd... got s- Swallow on it. No, no. Oh I would challenge you to listen to Swallow. I really want it to be Razorblade Suitcase. So basically, we're going to have a discussion about that. I want to talk about this. This was one of those albums. It was there. It existed. It was an early, early album for me to listen to. So listening to Muse has reminded me that I also listened to some not new metal at the time. This was one of them. I'd uh, love to have you listen to it and have a a nice open conversation about it. So this was an album you loved growing up and now you're going to make me listen to it. I can only name one Bush song. It's Swallowed. Swallow? Swallowed. Whatever. We'll talk about it next time. Great. Can't wait. Am I taking <laughs> don't, it home? Don't, don't, sound too, don't sound too down about it. No, I'm, I, I am going in with, 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 with open arms, unlike Deftones, w- where I know I <laughs> didn't like Deftones. I don't know if I do or don't like Bush. I've never listened to them. Gavin Rosdale, Gwen Stefani. That's all I know. That's yeah. I'm looking forward to the the inevitable message of oh here we go. But uh, yeah, I I look forward to talking with you about it in this situation again. But uh, yep, that's mine for next time. So do you want to take us home? I'll take us home. Thanks everyone for listening. This has been Alive or Just Blethering. Head over to our Instagram and Twitter at AOGB Podcast. I fucked that. AOJB Podcast. Give us uh, give us some tweets, give us some twats, give us some feedbacks. Tell us what you thought of uh, Muse Origin of Symmetry. Tell us what you thought of Citizen Erased, 20th anniversary re-release. And um, yeah, say hi. Drop, a, drop us a line. Uh, next time on Alive or Just Blethering. Lav will be taking us through Golden State by Bush. Good fight, good night. Good night.